So we're going to be in 3 John today. Um, so one thing that's kind of interesting, you know, the, the way we do most of our sermons, um, the expository preaching, and with Eric taking the letters of, of John, we find ourselves in 3 John, and I was just thinking, um, I don't know that I've ever heard a sermon on 3 John. Like, who randomly just preaches from 3 John? You know, have, have any of you guys ever heard anybody preach on 3 John? Sally has. But Sally's probably heard every book of the Bible preached, so she don't count. <laughs> she cheated. Um, but most of us, we probably hadn't heard many sermons on 3 John at all. Uh, but that's kind of the great thing about, about taking books of the Bible and preaching through them is, is you preach on things that are otherwise overlooked. Uh, because maybe it's not as interesting or maybe it's difficult or maybe just, you know, you want to find an easier topic that you can go preach on um, and pull whatever you want to pull out of it. Uh, but as we do, we're in the letters of John and here we are in Third John. And so um, what does John have to say? And so we're going to look at that. Uh, just a little bit of background uh, about Third John is, as we discussed, is written by John. Uh, no surprise there, um, but this is the, the, the most personal of the three letters that he wrote. And we'll see that because he wrote it to a guy named Gaius. Um, and so we kind of started out, you know, John was writing to like, like churches, like circular, and then it's kind of been pinpointing down to a smaller group. And now this letter is pinpointed down to one guy in particular. Um, so to me, this is really interesting because this is John's heart to an individual, um, which, you know, all of his letters are, are letters to individuals, but this is specifically to one guy. This is something that John says, I want to say to you personally. And so we get a little bit of insight um, in that, saying what John has to say to Gaius. Um, so that's kind of interesting. Uh, Gaius, anybody know who he is? Nobody knows who he is. Um, it's a very common name. And I was kind of thinking, you know, that's almost like if somebody sent a letter here addressed to Jim because we're taking over basically um, there's four of us and if anybody else named Jim wants to come we're going to welcome them in with open arms um, and it's going to be the church of Jim or something I don't know but but if somebody sent a letter here addressed to Jim like which Jim is it to like we don't know um, and that's kind of the way this is this letter to guys it's like he wrote it to guys well who's guys well nobody knows because that was a very common name in the day that John wrote this. So there was a lot of people named Gaius, you know, and there's, there's other people in the Bible referred to as Gaius that a lot of people think well, it's not them. So this is just some other guy. Um, but we are going to see in the, the address to the letter in verse 1, he says, uh, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. And so as, as John kind of addresses Gaius, we're going to see that, um, one, he calls himself the elder, and so it kind of clues us in that Gaius was probably uh, a person in one of the churches whom John had influence over or who uh, he was kind of an overseer uh, because he addressed himself as an elder and he wrote this to Gaius. And so uh, he had a personal relationship with Gaius and Gaius saw John as a leader, as an elder. Um, and so they had that, that in common, but beyond that, um, Nobody really knows who this guy is. Nobody knows what, you know, I mean, why do you write to him? We'll find out. Um, but really, he's, he's just nobody that you're going to read about in the Bible um, to say, oh, this is who John wrote to because he's just not there. So anyway, 
that's kind of third John. Um, I guess we can go eat lunch. <laughs> he did have something to say, though. So we'll look at that. Um, so we'll just read. We're going to read verses uh, 1 through 4 this morning. So we'll go ahead and read through those, and then we'll go back and we'll look at them. Uh, it says, The elder to the beloved guys, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you were walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And so we're going to take this letter, or these first four verses of the letter, and we're going to kind of look at them and see, you know, what was Paul, or Paul, what was John saying to guys, um, and why did he want to write this letter to guys to start with? Um, and so we notice, as we mentioned in verse 1, that he identifies himself as the elder um, in writing to guys. And he says, whom I love in truth. And this is not really a surprise to you guys that John would write, whom I love in truth, because that's kind of a common um, way that John addresses people. Uh, but again, it's important that we recognize, you know, why did he say that? Why did he say um, to guys whom I love in truth? And as I said, he's mentioned that um, if we want to go back in First John uh, 3.18, he says, a little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Um, and then Second John, verses 1 through 4, as he addressed the letter there, uh, the elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but um, also oh, all who know the truth because of the truth that imbibes in us and, we, and will be with us forever. And so we look at that, and, you know, when... when John mentions these words, whom I love in truth. He's really mentioning this common bond that we all have, this common bond that he has with guys. Um, why does he love guys? He loves them in truth. He, th there's a truth there that binds them together. And, and we kind of, as we see this, and we'll see it um, also as he addresses him as a, the beloved, you know, as believers, there's something that binds us all together. And that, that, that is that we're all together in Christ. We're all unified. We're all one. And that drives the way we love. And that drives the way we, we treat each other. Um, and so we can say that we love each other in truth because there's a different kind of love that we have for each other than what you have for the rest of the world. I mean, you can love other people, but there's something special about the love that we have together. And I think about this group of people. And, you know... I tell you guys pretty regular, I don't do it as much as I really should, but I tell you guys pretty regular that I love you guys, and I do, because, like, you are my family. You're part of who I am, and, you know, if it weren't for you, like, I don't even know if I would want to live in Sparta, but, you know, I love you guys, and I love being a part of this church with you guys, and the reason that we are together is because of truth. There's a, there's a common truth that brings us together and that is our salvation through Jesus Christ. That is who we are in him. And we come together as a church, and we love each other because of that. And we can kind of see how John is reflecting that love toward guys. He says, I love you in truth. I love you because of something. It's not just because you're my neighbor or you're my buddy, but we have something in common that draws us closer together and, and makes us tighter, and that is the truth, the, tr the truth of Jesus Christ and who we are in that 
And he also, in, in verse 2, he mentions that. He says, beloved. Um, he kind of reiterates that love. And one thing that was interesting that, that I really didn't, I guess, pay a whole lot of attention to before, um, this term beloved in the New Testament is always used toward believers. Um, you know, somebody doesn't write a letter and say beloved and, and talk to unbelievers. Um, and so, again, it kind of reiterates that, that strong bond, that strong love that we have for each other because of that thing we have in common, because of the salvation we have, because of the hope we have in Jesus Christ. Um, it drives that love. And we can look at each other and say, you are my beloved. You are the ones I love. You are the ones I care about. And there's a reason why. And it's because of Jesus. And I hope you guys feel that way toward everybody in this room. I hope that, that when you look around, that you see these people that you love dearly because of this truth that we have, because of this bond that we have, because of this unity that we have in Jesus, that you can look at everybody here and say, man, I have a strong love for you because of that, a different kind of love than I have for anybody else because we're all believers and we're all in this uh, church thing together, and it's all because of Jesus. And then he goes on and he says, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health. And this was the one verse or one part of the verse that when I was reading this, I thought, wow, this is really like, what am I going to do with that? Because like, this is not the main focus of why he's writing or even these first four verses, but this was kind of the thing that tripped me up a little bit because I know the world we live in. I know things that other people are teaching, what other churches are believing. And you guys have heard of this term, the prosperity gospel. And when I read this, I was like, man, that's exactly kind of what John is pointing to here. Um, how many times do you hear other churches, you know, we pray for wealth and we pray for prosperity and we pray for our health and this type of thing. And like that is the main focus of everything that they do is prosperity and health. And here John says, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health, which might not sound quite as bad, but if we go and we look at other translations, um, the CSB says, Dear friend, I pray that you are prospering in every way and in good health. Uh, the KJV says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest, you use that word a lot, thou mayest prosper and be in health. The NASB says, Beloved, I pray in all respects that you may prosper and be in good health. And so it's, it's really common that this is translated proper in good health or prosper in good health. And so it's almost like this is what John's praying for, for this church. And man, people grab hold of this verse and they make it sound like this is what we're supposed to do. You know, if I pray hard enough and have faith, then you're going to have prosperity and good health. And there's a whole world of religion built around that. And there's a lot of money thrown at that religion because of that. And I think when we look at this, like we have to have a proper understanding. What was John saying? What was he saying when he wrote this? Is that really what he was praying for? Is that really what he's talking about for guys? Guys, you're doing a good job. Man, I hope God just like gives you a ton of money and makes you healthy. Like, was that really what he was saying? And if you've been here for any amount of time, you know, like, well, that's not what he was saying. So what was he saying? And so what I want to do is I want to kind of take this and look at it. And like I said, this is not like the main point of what John was getting to, but I feel like we have to understand it. Because if we don't understand this, 
then we're going we're gonna to think of it wrongly. We're going to allow wrong doctrine to come in, and somebody else is going to point at this verse and say, see, this is what John prayed. And so this is what John wanted, and so that's what you should want. And this is what we should pray for each other. Um, and so I want to look at this, and hopefully we can get a little better understanding of it before we kind of move on to see what John was really talking about. <clears throat> so to kind of understand this, we have to look at the word pray. What was John saying? What was John meaning? And so before we really dive into what this word means, um, we have to think about what is, what is prayer even? What does it mean when we pray? What, what is this thing we do when we have prayer? What's it for? What does it accomplish? And as Eric mentioned earlier, uh, we're going to have a study on the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to look at prayer and we're going to look at it in depth. Um, what should it look like? How did Jesus teach us? How should we pray? What should your prayer life look like? What, what should it look like when you pray to God? Um, and so just kind of a real quick, just in a nutshell, uh, what is prayer? And I, I thought it was good. I, I read a definition, um, Wayne Grudem, the Systematic Theology book. He kind of had this one short line, and he says, prayer is personal communication with God. And you guys kind of know that. I mean, it's pretty common. Like, you probably learned that when you were in kindergarten or something. Um, but that's basically, I mean, that's what it is. And so when we pray, like, we're communicating with God, just like I'm communicating with you. Um, we have an open communication with God. And so that's all prayer is. Um, and we know the Bible tells us we have to pray by faith. And, man, this is something that prosperity people grab hold of. Because if you don't get what you want, it's because you didn't have enough faith. And so that's how you kind of get this buy. Like, you give me a lot of money, and you're going to be prosperous. Well, how come you weren't? Well, you just didn't have faith. But I still have your money. You know, you want to be healed? Write me a check. You're still lame. Sorry about that. You didn't have enough faith. And so you can kind of see how you can take this and really twist it into, man, this is not what it is. This is not what prayer is. It's not what prayer is supposed to be. But we are supposed to pray in faith. And so one thing that really struck me as, as I was thinking about this and doing some reading is, what does it mean to pray in faith? Like, what do you have faith in when you pray? And I think this is really coming down to the root of what does it look like to pray in faith? And so if, if my faith is in, I'm going to receive this thing I'm asking for, then my faith is in my desire. My faith is in, God, I'm going to tell you what to give me, and you're going to give it to me. And so where does my faith lie? My faith lies in me. It lies in my heart. It lies in my want. It lies in, is that what it means to pray in faith? That I pray in faith believing that whatever I want, I get. That sounds like a four-year-old. I mean, a lot of you guys have small kids. Like, that's the way they think, right? If I want it, I get it. Um, and I don't have grandkids yet, but when I do, that's probably the way it's going to be with them, by the way. Anything they want, hey, you're good. <laughs> you want to eat cupcakes for supper? We're having cupcakes for supper. Um, just a heads up there, kids. Sugar them up and send them home. Um, but God doesn't work that way, you know. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good one. You know, I was kind of thinking about, and, and don't go watch this movie. It's, 
it wasn't that good. But do you guys, I, if you've seen it or not, I don't know. The, the movie that Jim Carrey, where he got to be God for a little while, I don't remember the name of the movie. It was stupid. It's really not that good of a movie. But, but the one thing that I remembered from it was, like, when people would pray, he would get emails. And he was, like, tired of answering emails, and so he just replied to all and said yes. And I don't know if you guys remember that. And so, like, this news, stuff that come on the news where, you know, there was, like, millions of people that won the lottery. And they all had to divide the money, and everybody got, like, five bucks or something. <laughs> and I'm like, that's what it would look like. Like, like if, if, if everybody prayed what they wanted and they got what they wanted, we would have all won the $1.2 billion mega million lottery that just happened, and we'd all have, like, $10 in our pocket. And we still wouldn't be happy because... We all won the lottery, and we didn't get nothing. Um, that's kind of what it would look like. And, and so, you know, we know, man, asking God for what we want and having faith in that we're going to get it, that's not the answer. And that's not what's going to happen. And if it, even if it did, it would be terrible. I mean, could you imagine if God gave you everything you've asked for? Man, it'd be, your life would be horrible because it would be the way that you planned it, and it would just fall apart. Like, nothing would work. So what does it mean? What does it mean when we pray? What does it mean when we pray in faith? Um, our faith is not in that we're going to receive what we want, but our faith, it's, it's because we trust or we depend on God and his sovereignty and his desires. And so when I pray and I pray in faith, I mean, I'm praying, Lord, you know better than I do. You know what I need. The Bible tells us that. He knows our needs before we ask. You know what I need. Give me what I need. Don't give me what I desire because what I desire is terrible. You know, give me what I need. And, and, and when we pray to God that way, I mean, that's, that's what our faith is in. Our faith is in the one we're praying to, not, not us, the one that's praying. Um, we're, our, our faith is in the Lord. And, you know, I think about uh, when we go back and we look, you know, Jesus, when he was in the garden at Gethsemane before he went to the cross. You guys are familiar with that. What did he pray for? Lord, if it's possible... Let this cup pass from me. Like, like, I don't want to do this. Like, this thing is terrible. It's going to be hard. But not what I will, but what you will. And he knew that he was praying in faith, that, that God's will was going to be accomplished. He knew what had to happen, but yet he was still in agony over it. And, and you know, that's kind of the way we are. Like, like, when we pray to God, man, my faith is in you. And this may, this may be agonizing. This may be hard. This may be difficult. But my faith is in you. And I know it's going to work out for your good. And that's the way we pray. That's the way we approach prayer. And so, and so what was John doing here? What was he saying? When he says, I pray that all may go well. I pray that you may prosper and have good health. What was he, what was he saying? Um, well, one, we have to understand that this phrase that he mentions here is just kind of a, it's a common greeting in when people wrote letters back in the day, back in uh, the, the Roman world that he lived in. Um, it was just kind of a common, hey, I hope you are doing well and prospering, you know. Um, and I was kind of thinking about like us, and when we have conversation, and I'm real bad, like when I walk up and meet you or I walk up and greet you, I'm like, hey, how, how you doing? I mean, that's like my greeting, how you doing? It's like I do care about how you're doing, but that's just kind of, this is kind of what comes out. 
You know, it's not like, hey, let's sit down for 10 minutes and you just fill me in on your life. It's just kind of like saying, hi, um, how's it going? And what does everybody say? Good. It's probably not. But that's what we say because it's just a greeting. And you guys know that. That's why you can laugh at it because you do the same thing. When you approach me, you're like, hey, how's it going? Good. Man, I'm wore out. <laughs> but I'm not going to bother you about talking about that. You know, let's just, let's just get the greeting over with. <laughs> That's kind of what John's doing. Hey, love you. Hope you're doing good. That's the greeting. Um, but when we look at it and we break it down further, again, it looks like he's praying for this for, for guys. He's praying for prosperity. He's praying for good health. What is he saying? So this word pray, when you look it up, and, and luckily we have all this really cool like software and books and all this stuff where I can look at Greek words and see what they mean because I don't know what any Greek word means and I can barely pronounce hardly any of them. Probably can't pronounce any of them right. Um, but it really helps that we have all these tools that we can go back and look and see, man, what's the Bible really mean? Because if you didn't know... It wasn't written in English. A lot of the New Testament is written in Greek. And we don't know Greek. And so we got to know, man, what were, what were, what were people saying? Uh, because the more you look at this, the more you realize how horrible the English language is. Like our words and the meanings of our words sometimes are just, we lump things together and it's just not right. And this is kind of one of those words. Um, so the word used here for pray only shows up seven times in the New Testament. Now, I don't know if you guys have read much of the New Testament, but the word pray shows up a lot. And this, this one particular word only shows up seven times. Um, there's another common word for pray, which actually is more um, that communication of God we were talking about, that more that request, um, that praying to God for something. This word, it, it actually is more, the meaning is to strongly desire or to kind of wish for. And you guys have probably used the word pray in that way. You know, well, I pray all goes well. You know, it's like, well, I hope things go well for you. But, but we'll substitute that with the word pray. You know, um, man, I got an interview tomorrow. Well, I'll pray it goes well. Well, you might actually pray for that, but you're kind of using the word in that way of, I hope it goes well for you. And so when we look at what John's saying, that's kind of what he's doing. Um, and, and I've, I found a few references. Out of those seven, there were five times it was actually used as the word pray. Uh, once it was used as would, and once it was used as wish. So there's only seven times. But one of them, I thought this was really good. So in Acts 27, verse 29, and this is when Paul was on the boat and they were being shipwrecked. Um, it says, in fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. Well, that sounds pretty normal, right? But it's like they prayed for day to come. Like, were they really praying, Lord, please let the day come? Like, like if they didn't pray for that, tomorrow wasn't going to come. Like, the sun was not going to come up if they didn't pray for it. Or if they prayed for it, that it's going to come up faster. Like, like, Lord, please let the sun come up, and there it is, over the horizon. You're like, yes. That's not what happened. 
th- this word is, they prayed for the day to come. They, they were hoping, they were longing for the day to come. Like they couldn't wait for this day to come. It, it was their desire. It was their desire that the day would come. This is the exact same word that John is using. And so when he says, I pray that all may go well and, that, and you may be in good health, um, that's really what he's, he's just mentioning his desire that this will happen. It's my desire that you do well. It's my desire that, that everything will go well for you. Um, so we can't take this verse and look at it and say, man, this is prosperity speaking, because it's not. This is just, this is a greeting. This is a well-wishing. Um, but, but there's nothing more to it than that. And so don't let somebody come along and tell you that this means more than it means, because that's what, that's what it means. I mean, he does have a desire for people to do well. We have the same desire. You know, we'll get together and somebody's sick and we'll pray for them. Like our desire is this person get well. But ultimately our faith is in the Lord. And if they get well, we, we praise the Lord. And if they don't, we still praise the Lord because the Lord is good. And if we had our desires, like nobody would ever die. And the world would be overpopulated because nobody would die. But that's just part of life. That's part of the cycle. We know that that happens. Um, but yet we will pray against it. But that doesn't mean God failed or that God didn't grant us our wish. Um, that means our hope is still in the Lord. And, and that's where our faith lies. And so don't let people tell you that, man, this is what, this is what John's doing. It's not what John's doing. Um, but he is wishing this for guys. He is hoping that things go well for guys. But then he kind of takes it like a step further than we do. Because he says, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes with your soul. And so this is kind of where John is focusing this letter. It's not anything about Gaius' health. He, he, he just kind of mentions that in passing. And he says, I hope it is going well, but I hope it's as going as well as things are going with your soul. And we're going we're gonna to look at that as Eric gets into the letter a little bit more about what Gaius was doing and why John was so excited about what Gaius was doing. But here, John is wishing him well because things are going good with Gaius' soul. Things are going good with his spiritual life, and that encourages John. And John says, this is what I want to focus on. This is what I want to point out. Yeah, I hope your physical is doing good, but, man, I wish it would do as good as your spiritual because your spiritual is doing great. And this is what I want to commend you on. This is what I want to talk about. And, you know, it's interesting, this word uh, for soul, it's where we get the English word for psyche. And you guys have probably heard, man, that messed with my psyche, you know, or, or however you use psyche in a sentence. I don't ever use it, but I know some of you guys probably do because you're smarter than I am. Um, but that's where this word comes from. And so, and so when he talks about that, you know, you think about a person, and it's like we have a physical body that's going to die. Well, we've also got a spiritual body part of our body we got something that is going to remain forever and and that's kind of what john is pointing to it's just spiritual life it, it's this it's this immaterial thing that dwells within us that it's part of who we are it's, it's part of what drives our emotions and you think about you know what makes us different than animals and it's like man we have this consciousness of morality we have this consciousness of god we have this consciousness of being here in this moment at this time like we have this ability that that a lot of animals don't seem to have and that's where we talk about our our spirit our soul this is this is what makes us 
This is what makes us us. You know, when I, when I look at you guys, like, I know, like, physically what you look like, but that's not who you are. Like, I know your personality. I know your, I know your, your spiritual condition. Like, like, you know what I mean? And so, and so there's more to you than just your appearance. And, and that's, that's what John is pointing to. He's like, yeah, your appearance, I hope it's doing well. I hope that physical thing is doing fine. But I'm really concerned about what's inside. I'm concerned about what's going on in your spiritual life. And that's what he's pointing to. And that's what he's really wanting to commend Gaius on is because, man, this thing is doing good. So keep doing it good, you know. Um, and and when, I, when I look at you guys and I talk to you guys, like, that's what I'm concerned about. Like, yeah, I hope your physical's doing fine. You know, we're going to pray for that. But, man, I really hope your spiritual's doing good. Because that's really what I'm concerned about. Because that's the only thing that's eternal. You know, you get sick. I mean, I hope you get over it. I really do. But if you don't, I mean, there's a spiritual part to you that's way more important than this physical part that we, we talk about so much. And, the, and so, you know, we look at John. I mean, that's John's desire for guys. Well, that's my desire for you. My desire for you is that your spiritual, man, I hope it's doing better than your physical. Like, I hope your spiritual life is so good that I can say, man, I wish your, spirit or your physical life would catch up because your, your spiritual life is, is doing so well. Man, I pray that your physical will catch up to that. Like, like, that's what we want for you. That's what I want for myself. Like, I want you guys to be able to look at me like, well, it wouldn't take a whole lot for my spiritual life to be better than my physical, but you know what I mean. Like, like I hope you can look at that and be like, man, I really hope your physical health catches up to your spiritual um, don't make jokes about that. It's not funny. <laughs> What's wrong with you? But we, well, we kind of see this is what John is talking about. And so this is what he's pointing to. And so if we continue on in verse 3, he says, For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you're walking in the truth. And so again, he's reiterating this. Hey, this is why I'm rejoicing. This is why I know your spiritual is doing good is because the people have come and talked to me and I know you're walking in truth. Like, they're witnesses to it. And man, sometimes I read this and I think, like, what would people say about me? Like, just say, for instance, you know, you go back to someone who was my pastor 20 years ago. And you run into him at the store or whatever. You know, what would your report be on me? You know, how, how, what would you say to that person about me? Like, oh, man, yeah, he's walking in truth. He's doing good. He's doing the thing. Or would it be something else? You know, this is kind of, this is what we see John doing. Um, he's like, man, some people have come and told me about what you're doing. You're, you're walking in truth. You're doing what you're supposed to do. And, man, I commend you for that. That brings me such joy that you're doing that. And I could just imagine, you know, man, for you guys, if somebody approached me that doesn't really know who I am, and they say, man, let me tell you about Jim. I'm going to use Jim because there's a lot of us. So, so I'm not like pinpointing a certain Jim. Just in general, man, Jim is doing so good. He's walking in truth, which all four of us Jims, I think we're, you know, and you guys are doing good. But, but you know what I mean? Like if somebody come and told me that, man, Jim, he's just, he's walking in truth, man. He, he's so spiritual. He's so strong. Like, 
man, that would be such an encouragement. Because I'm like, man, I'm so happy for him. I'm so glad he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. I'm so glad he's obedient. You know, and, and, and you know, we kind of take pride in that because that's, that's what we long for. And so that's kind of what we're seeing going on here. And, you know, John, he's talked about walking in truth and, and things in his other books. But why does he keep bringing it up? You know, why is it now in the third letter of John, he's still talking about walking in truth? There must be something really important about walking in truth. Otherwise, he wouldn't bring it up so often. And so we're going to look at that just a little bit. I want to give you guys some verses, and y'all can jot these down. I, I'm not as organized as Eric is, so the, like, there's one thing on the screen, and that's what's going to stay there the whole time. So you're not going to get any slides. You're not going to, okay, none of that. So if you want to take notes... You better write them down while I'm talking, because you ain't going to get nothing. Psalm 86, 11. I'll give you a minute to write that down. I know you want to. It says, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Here we have this, this relationship between walking in truth and Lord, teach me your ways. Man, if I know the ways of the Lord, I can walk in truth. How else are you going to walk in truth if you don't know the ways of the Lord? There is no other truth. Here we, we see the heart of David, teach me your truth, Lord, that I may walk in them. I, I want to know who you are, and I want to walk in that. Um, and as I mentioned, uh, John, in 1 John uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So if you walk in darkness, you're lying and you're not practicing the truth. But if we walk in light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus. His son cleanses us from all sin. And so here he's making this contrast between if you're walking in darkness, you're, you're living a lie, you're not walking in truth. But if you are walking in the light... As we are in the light, we have fellowship with each other. The blood of Jesus cleanses us. That's how we walk in truth. We walk in truth because there's only one truth, and that is Jesus. Second John chapter 1, verses 4 through 6 says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I'm writing you a new commandment, but the one we had from the beginning, that we love one another, and this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from in the beginning, so you should walk in it. And so again, here's this relationship between loving each other, being obedient to that command of God to love each other, and walking in truth. And so what does it look like to walk in truth? Man, we love each other. Just as God has commanded us, we love each other, and we walk in that. And you know, my mind always goes back to Matthew 22, Verses 35 through 40, and it says, One of them, a lawyer, asked him, Jesus, a question to test him. Teacher, what, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophet." And so when we talk about walking in truth, what does that look like? It looks like loving God, and it looks like loving each other. Because Jesus says these are the commandments. 
Like if you do this, every other commandment's going to fall under that. Like you don't have to worry about memorizing all these rules, all these things you can do, all these things you can't do. If you love God and you love people, you're going to do the right thing. Like that's what love looks like. And when we do that to each other, we're walking in truth. We're walking in the truth that God has given us, that we are to love. And that's been a theme of John's letters the whole time. Man, we've got to love each other. Why do we have to love each other? It's a commandment from God. It's what he expects from his children. You know, some of you guys that have more than one kid, do you not expect your kids to love each other? I mean, there's times it doesn't seem like they do, but they do. And I'll tell you, there's been times in my house where I've wondered if my kids loved each other because you're like, man, y'all really going at it today. But I'll tell you the funny thing, outside of the home, if somebody messes with, like, Allison, man, Caleb gets ticked off. Like, there is a love there that I don't see all the time at home, and you guys know what I'm talking about. But there is a love there. Like, you expect your kids to love each other, and you look out for each other, and you care for each other, even though, you know, sometimes you're going to argue, sometimes you're going to fight, whatever. That's just part of being siblings. But deep down, there's a love. And, and man, when we talk about each other, that's kind of the way we are. Like, there's going to be moments where we're going to have disagreements. There's going to be moments where you're going to do something I'm not going to like, or I'm going to do something that you don't like, which is probably more the case. But there are going to, things that are going to happen. And we'll work through them and we'll get over it. But deep down, man, there's a love. There's a love for each other. And that's what's expected. Because Christ loves so much. How are we to love any less? Like, like, I love you guys. And, you know, I would do anything I can for you guys. And that's the way we should be to each other. That love should be great. And in that, we walk in truth. We walk in the truth of God's commands to love. And that's what it looks like. And John, he goes on in, in verse 4 and he says, I have no greater joy than to hear my children walking in truth. And I'm like, man, that is so awesome. Because, you know, even though there's times like I feel like I'm unworthy to be like an elder or anything at this church, like, like I have been put in this position of oversight for you guys. And so I kind of feel like John here where it's like, like I feel like you're my children and I care for you and I care for your spiritual well-being. And when I hear that you're doing when I hear that you're walking in truth, man, that brings me joy because you're doing what you're supposed to do. You're being obedient to the Lord. You're not being obedient to me. You're being obedient to the Lord. And that's my desire. That's my hope for you guys is that you are being obedient to the Lord, that you are walking in his truth. And in that, man, that fills my heart. You know, and when you're not, it breaks my heart because I want that for you and I desire that for you. And I hope you guys know that. And I can really relate to John here when he says, man, there's nothing that brings me greater joy than to know my children are walking in truth. These people that I've taught, that I've, that, that I've shared scripture with, that I've loved, that I've sweated over, man, they're doing what they're supposed to do and that brings me such joy. And you guys, I mean, you've seen it from Paul, you see it from John, and I hope you see it here. I hope you see it when Eric and I talk to you guys, man, and, and, oh, you're doing so well spiritually that, man, it just fills our heart. 
And I hope you know that it does because we can relate to what John's talking about. We can relate to that. And, and man, you guys are doing good. You guys are doing great. And this church fills our heart. And it's our desire that you continue to do well. And so we look at what John's talking about here in this letter that he's wrote to Gaius and how he just, man, he, he loves what Gaius is doing. And he loves it that, that he's walking in truth. He loves it that his spiritual life is doing so well. And man, that's great. But when I look at it, and when you guys look at this, you know, that's why I threw this question up here. Is like, who cares? And you know, that phrase, you can say it a couple different ways. Like all this stuff I talked about, who cares? You know? And sometimes that's our attitude. Sometimes our attitude is like, eh, who cares? But that shouldn't be our attitude. We should look at that question and say, who cares? Who in this room cares? When you look around, and y'all can look around if you want to, look at your neighbors, whatever. See all these people in here? Who cares about them? I do. Eric does. You know, do you guys care for each other? Do you guys have that kind of care that John has for guys that we have for you? Do we have that kind of care for each other? Do we care about each other's spiritual life? And I tell you, the hard thing about caring for somebody's spiritual life, caring for your physical life is easy. Caring for your physical life is, man, you don't feel well, I'm going to bring you a pot of soup. You know, that's going to, you're going to feel, I mean, you don't have to cook supper, and that's great, and we do a great job of that, and many times you guys have brought me food, I've just loved it. But to care about your spiritual need gets personal. That's when it gets a little deeper. And that's what makes this part hard. And that's what makes it hard when we look at each other. And that's what makes it hard when, when I look at you is, is this is getting personal because this is about who you are. This is about where you are with the Lord. And if things are not right, like that's more than just having a cold. Like there's a problem and we need to address it. And man, that's hard to address a, an issue. But that's what it looks like to care for somebody's spiritual life is that, hey, I see you're struggling here and I, I want to bring that to your attention and I want to help you work through this because this is not what God has desired for you. And that's a tough thing to do. And I hope that when you look around that you have that kind of concern for each other. I mean, we have that concern for you, but, man, there's only a couple of us that are elders and there's a lot of you guys. And sometimes it's hard to you know, deal with everybody at once. Like, like, you guys can look at each other. You guys know each other better than I know you sometimes. And it's like, you know somebody's struggling. And if they are, ask them about it. Because that's going to show that you care about their spiritual need. You care about their spiritual life. Just like we care about your spiritual life and just like John cared about Guy's spiritual life. And ask people about it. Care about what people are going through. Care about when people are struggling. Because that's what makes the body stronger. And that's really what we're called to do. We're called to support each other and to help each other and to love each other. And how can you love somebody if you know they're struggling and you just let it go? So I just want to encourage you guys in that. Men care about each other. That makes everything stronger. That makes us stronger as a body. That makes us 
more obedient to the Lord. And that's what I want to encourage you with. So let's pray together.